1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? On November 13th, Felix Unger was asked to remove himself from his place of residence. That request came from his wife. Deep down, he knew she was right, but he also knew that someday he would return to her. With nowhere else to go, he appeared at the home of his childhood friend, Oscar Madison. Sometime earlier, Madison's wife had thrown him out, requesting that he never return. Can two divorced men share an apartment without driving each other crazy? and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spitaro, and as is usually the case, I have the pleasure of being joined by my good buddy, Mr. Sean Whalen. It is a pleasure to be here today. It is a pleasure to be here with you, my friend. And we have the pleasure today of having a guest with us, Mr. Ted Linhart, who is a co-host of the very excellent 1049 Park Avenue podcast, which focuses on the TV show, The Art Couple. Welcome aboard, Ted. Thank you for having me. Uh, thanks for making the time to talk to us. As I have said on many, many occasions, uh, The Odd Couple is my all-time favorite sitcom. Uh, I've been addicted to it since, well, pretty much since it went into syndication. Uh, so I guess we'll start off by just talking about, you know, how did you get into The, the Odd Couple in the first place? So I grew up in New York City, and WPIX used to air it every night at 11 o'clock when I was growing up, and uh, just discovered it there. I watched a lot of TV. I watched Johnny Carson at 11.30, and after 
whatever ended at 10 o'clock, Hill Street Blues, uh, usually, or, or some other 10 o'clock show, Cagney Lacey, I, that would be my show in between. And I just loved it, except for when, as a non-sports fan, in general, what made me even like sports less was when the Yankees would run over and the, sh- the episode wouldn't air or would air clipped, joined in progress, except for those nights, uh, loved watching The Odd Couple. Yeah, I, I have a similar experience. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little older than you, and I believe that I probably got into it a little differently. Now, I could go back, actually, uh, to when I was probably, I guess, around five years old or so, and my older sister took me to the theater, and we saw the movie The Art Couple. Uh, and I remember after that, you know, again, probably being about five or six years old, uh, the only scene that really, really stuck with me was Walter Matthau taking this the plate of linguine and throwing it against the wall and, you know, and, and arguing over whether it's called spaghetti linguine or garbage. Uh, but that was what stuck with me. When the art couple was actually on in its broadcast premieres, uh, I was familiar with it, but I wasn't actively watching it or going out of my way to watch it. Once it went into syndication, I was inundated with it and fell in love with it. Uh, I remember, you know, me and my buddy just throwing lines back and forth constantly, you know, reminiscing about different episodes. And, you know, it, it's, you know, 40 something years later and we're still doing it. You know, we will text each other just a line out of nowhere and immediately we know what's going on. And, and the amusing thing on that is when we get together in person, our wives say, you know, the two of them, they're speaking English, but I have no idea what they're saying because we're usually quoting different lines from the shows and they have no clue. Uh, so it's it's kind of fun with that. But it's been something I've been addicted to ever since. I'm curious, Sean, you know, being a non-New Yorker, so I think it's a little bit of a different experience. How, how are you exposed to the show? So I grew up in Ohio and in 71, uh, I was born in 1971. Um, I remember the show being on at home. I don't remember, like, as a kid, I didn't grow up, like, watching a lot of it, other than I'm very familiar with the characters, where I've got a real soft spot, um, and I didn't realize it until I started watching it for this, Tony Randall, his mannerisms as Felix, he looks like my father. I mean, there's, like, I'll have to send you at some point in time pictures of my father from the 60s when he, you know, when he was younger, almost a splitting image. I'm not saying identical, but pretty close. And the mannerisms and even some of the quirks are like spot on. So it was when I was watching this, it hit like on a very different level. Uh, you had texted me saying, hey, do an episode in The Odd Couple. You want to join us? And I'm like, all right, well, you know, let's. So I started binge watching this, figuring that, you know, I could be the voice of the person who hasn't really had this history with it. You know, I've got a strong familiarity with it. I'm from the era. It's just it's one of those things that's always passed me by. Oh, my. If you're listening to this and you've never checked out this show. Oh, my gosh. Does it hold up? I mean, watching it fresh. And I mean, I hit I'm not saying I didn't have any experience with it. I did. But never like this, where I really sat down for the purpose of just enjoying it and bringing that to the table. I made it through like 10 episodes of this thing in two days just because of the fact that I was glued to it and really, really love the characters. I'm engaged. I want to find out more. Ted, I want to jump on your podcast and and listen to see, um, you know, what I'm, what I'm missing. Um, All of those pieces, which is what is my experience with some of the best of the best of sitcoms. They're the ones that are comfort food. They're the ones that you go to, to watch over and over again. 
But I'm getting this. So my experience from you two is going to be completely different. And this is all fresh for me. And I'm surprised that I never saw this in the light that I'm seeing it now and never had the chance to really engage with it. Um, just because it's been available in syndication for so long, I don't know how I missed it. But it's fantastic. And I, I mean, I've got a lot of personal feelings around it. I, it was emotional for me watching the first couple episodes, though, because of the fact that, oh, my gosh, Tony Randall reminds me of my dad in so many ways. <laughs> Felix, in particular, reminds me of elements of him. Not a clone, but elements. <laughs> so my, my goal here right now is to, I mean, we're not going to go on and on for too, too long, but my goal is to examine why is it a special sitcom? Why has it held up? you know, coming up, uh, well, not coming up, it is 50 years later. Uh, you know, how, how is, how has it translated and what, you know, what about it makes it so special? And immediately what I come to is the casting of Tony Randall and Jack Klugman. They are just so perfect for the roles. And the funny thing is they're replacing Jack, Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau who did it in the movie. And then there were other people in the play. I am aware of that, but Jack, uh, Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon are two great, great actors and have a, a chemistry that, it, that can't be denied because they've done so many movies together and they had such a relationship together. And then to have two people cast in a sitcom who are, for lack of a better term, lower lights as far as cinematically and star-wise, uh, but have them embrace the roles and make it their own and, as far as I'm concerned, improve on it greatly. Uh, that's phenomenal. That's something you don't see, uh, you know, that often. A lot of times when you see the sitcom and it's the lesser actors, you know, it, it's very rare that the, that the sitcom version, uh, you know, eclipses the movie version. The only other one I can think of really off the top of my head is MASH, and that's, that's a different animal. Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, this, this one, you know, this is special. And, and I'm going to I'm sorry if I'm going on, but I'm going to throw this out to you in a moment, Ted, because, uh, you know, we were talking earlier before we started recording this uh, episode about how your the podcast, for the most part, skipped over season one and then just kind of did a retrospective talking about some episodes because season one is viewed as the lesser season or, you know, that is the perception from people. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said of positive nature from season one but the biggest reason why it doesn't hold up to the rest of the show as far as i you know my analysis goes is because the actors hadn't really embraced the roles as much as their own and the production hadn't been done you know to to create its own atmosphere it felt like the actors especially clubman were trying to ape the performances from Matthew and Lemon to some extent, instead of making the characters their own. And then they were doing the show, you know, with, with a, a laugh track, uh, you know, instead of being in front of a live audience. And I think once they kind of got over the point of trying to, you know, make the characters similar to in the movies and make the production similar to the movie, that's when the show became, you know, really took wings and, and took off. Uh, and I'm curious what your take on is on that tip. I would agree with everything you said. I'm not a fan of the movie. I, I've seen it recently. We did an episode about it. It's fine. Uh, and season one, I find unwatchable. I don't count it. There are season one fans. I, we actually did an episode where we debated the merits of season one with a fan. 
Um, and I agree, they tried too hard to just do the movie. The laugh track is horrible. The way it's shot is annoying. Close-ups. And it just wasn't funny because I think it was trying to mimic the style of the movie, which I just don't find appealing. I know other people do. And season two, they just didn't ignored all that, made it a three-camera show because Klugman and Randall were also really theater actors at heart, and they loved the crowd reaction, and um, they got so much energy out of it that that really drove them. And I agree, the casting here is why the show works today. And the way, you know, we've gone, we, our most recent episodes, we take scripts that I've purchased and original scripts, and we compare what's in the script to what's on the show. And you can see how there's a lot of things that change. And we think a lot of it is driven by on the spot changes or very near recording changes that Tony and Jack uh, had input on in addition to the great writing staff. So the combination of the casting, the adaptation of the format, uh, and the writing is what led it to be so memorable. Um, you know, they the, they won Emmys. So uh, it definitely took a little time and adjustment. But by season two, they came into their own. Now, I, I, I'm sure you have as well. But I read, uh, what, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I think it was called Tony and Me, which is yeah. Club, Clubman's book, which yeah. I think I read the entire book in an hour and a half. Uh, it's it's not heavy reading, uh, but it was very interesting to read. And he talked in that about how, uh, I think he sugarcoated it a little bit because I think they were resented a little bit by the writing staff because they would impose themselves on the writing staff and say, no, we need to change this. There's, you know, ultimately at the end of this story, you have to understand why these two, you know, people who are so opposed to each other as far as their philosophies of life are lifelong best friends and have a you know a non-romantic love for each other that that can't be broken uh and and it, you know he was like every show has to show that at some point you know and and that seemed to me to be part of the, the formula that made the show so good is because you know they've read they've tried to redo this on so many occasions and i know you did uh, an episode on that, you know, uh, with with the different uh, versions that they came up with, and you know, including the Oddball Couple cartoon, uh, which I, I find still amusing to this day. But uh, anyway, uh, they never were able to recapture the same chemistry. Excuse me, uh, and and I think that is wholly due to the dedication that Klugman and Randall had to these characters and to their craft, and to doing this show the right way. Yeah, we know from a lot of source materials and interviews and podcasts, Gilbert Gottfried's podcast would talked about The Odd Couple. They did a whole 50th anniversary episode. They had Adam Klugman on. So we know from a lot of materials that they were very involved in the show's writing. Um, you know, nothing really happened without their approval. They weren't just actors reading lines. So, uh, and they were difficult at times. Tony Randall in particular comes across from listening to these uh, interviews is the more difficult one. Um, but in the end, it all paid off. Like everything they were changing for the most part made the show better. And we can see that from this whole script process, uh, how much better the show is than the scripts. Uh, you know, we look at all these changes and we talk about whether or not we think it was better in the script or better on the TV. And most of the time, 
we think that the changes were better. So their involvement, while maybe difficult for the staff, made for a better show. I, I agree totally. I think that, uh, you know, I think that's the reason. I mean, the most recent version that they had with uh, Thomas Perry. Lennon and Matthew Perry, I yeah. thought it was an entertaining sitcom, but it wasn't, there was nothing stellar about it. So it could it's have not been the, anything. Yeah, it's not the concept of the two opposites that makes the show. It's the chemistry between the actors and the presentation of the actors. And, you know, we, I know you talked about the uh, Demond uh, Wilson Ron Glass version, and it sounded to me like Ron Glass, you know, say what you want about him as an actor, and I think he's done great in some things, but it sounded like he didn't ever want to look stupid or silly or whatever. And Tony Randall, for all the talk about him being, you know, uppity and all of that, clearly had no problem looking silly in things that he was willing to do on the show if it served the script and if it served the humor. So Agreed. I think that's part of yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, the, the remakes, that, that uh, I didn't find the remake, the Matthew Perry one, even entertaining and it didn't have to be the odd couple it could have just been any two guys living together um and the sloppiness and neatness i don't even think came out that much on the show even in the the new odd couple the one with demon mills and Ron glass they didn't even seem to be that sloppy or neat in the show in the main show there was a very clear sloppy and neat distinction which was utilized better i think because you had actors who really were those people again if you listen to these interviews uh they were not that different from their characters in many ways so there's an authenticity to these two people acting that came across on the screen while all the other actors we've played them since you could see they're acting yeah i agree and you know you, you mentioned the gilbert Gottfried episode which was the first Gilbert Gottfried episode I had listened to. Oh, wow. and, and, and I mourn his passing because I've enjoyed the heck out of that show since. Me too, yeah. But uh, uh, the, the thing I found amusing was uh, one of the Clubman sons, I think it was Adam, but I'm not sure. Uh, he talked about like after his parents got a divorce and Jack would come, you know, on, on his visitation day to take him out and he'd be like, what do you want to do? You want to go to the track? <laughs> it's, it's like, boy, it could, could he have been more Oscar? <laughs> you know? Plus the fact that it is his wife who was his ex-wife playing his ex-wife on the show. Oh, the chemistry between them is phenomenal. Yeah, another part of the authenticity. So, right, these were these, these they really were them in many ways. There's the famous story when they first met that uh, Tony Randall was going to get in a limousine with Jack Klugman and Jack Klugman was smoking and he wouldn't get in a limousine when they first were starting to do the show. So that's exactly what would happen between Felix and Oscar. So you, you know, you, you happen to stumble in just like Carol O'Connor or Jackie Gleason, you know, you, you stumble as well as you try to cast people. Many TV shows don't have the magic and clearly here the magic was there. It feels like Absolutely. you're out in their home, um, which is really an important piece of this. It's with situation comedies, the best ones are the ones where, yes, there's humor in there. And it's important. Uh, don't get me wrong. But it's got to be there's got to be story. There's got to be this sense of this is a living, thriving, three dimensional world. Um, it doesn't matter that it's sets and things like that. It's it's how they make you believe this is a lived in world. And um they're, they're endearing characters because of the fact that you can jump in at any point in time and you start to forget that these are actors portraying a role. They become that person. 
Exactly. And, that, and, yeah. and boy, boy, did they capture that in this because um, we can relate to it then because we all have friends that are different than us. And it's on paper friendships that don't make sense. And my father had them growing up. It's I, I kept and I, I will say watching this through, I was more relating it to my father um, now more. So I'm even relating it to myself and friendships I have. I have friends that are very politically different than I am, but they're they're like brothers. Um, and yet there's times where oh, there's friction <laughs> because of all that, because we just feel very differently about um, certain things. And, and that's what's relatable about this. It feels natural. It doesn't feel forced. And that's where the show works. It, the, that's, there's a chemistry to that. There's a chemistry to the world. There's a chemistry to their story. Um, and that's that's something that just really just vibrates through this thing in, in a way that's just really cool. Now, one of the things about the show that I find interesting, because it goes against my way of thinking normally, because as a comic book nerd, as a movie nerd, as a television nerd, continuity becomes very important to me in things. And I just become a nitpicker on some of these things. And the odd couple just said, we don't care. We don't care about continuity. We're going to just contradict ourselves every time we turn around. No, it's that, funny because a lot of that has become even more apparent to me listening to you guys talk about so, it on your podcast. So that's where the podcast came from. So during, uh, so growing up in New York, I went to high school with my co my co-host Garrett Eisler, and we used to talk about the odd couple every day. And then during COVID, I started to listen to just kind of escape COVID. I started listening to podcasts about all my favorite shows. So Honeymooners was out there. Columbo was out there. And I was like looking for an odd couple and I couldn't find one. And I realized that why not do one? Because there is so much to talk about in the contradictions alone that come up in every episode that uh, I sought Garrett out. I hadn't talked to him in like 10 or 15 years and he was definitely interested in doing it. So it, if it wasn't for those contradictions, I don't know that I would have thought about doing a podcast because I was like, well, what are you actually going to say? And then I realized the contradictions alone are so much fun to talk about. And the fact that I've seen the episodes hundreds of times, you just pick up on the contradictions, you know, after that, when you're watching, they're pretty apparent. Now, one of the things that I, I've come to notice more from listening to you guys, uh, and I was aware of it, you know, with certain people like Richard Stoke uh, or Phil Leeds, people like that, I, I was aware of it. but. I didn't realize how many actors there were that repeated themselves over and over and like, over like again Eddie, in different Eddie, roles. Like Eddie Garrett, who is Eddie Garrett. I never noticed until yeah. you guys pointed out to me, and he's yeah. all, he's all over the place. Yeah, all the place. Yes, that's another great thing. Is the the guest stars are a great part of the show. Well, they don't rely on guest stars heavily, but when they do have them, for the most part, they really elevate the show. And they do repeat a lot. There are guest stars who come in in different roles all the time. Um, and many shows don't do that anymore. You don't, once an actor's on a show, they don't really come back. Although I am rewatching Hill Street Blues now and seeing Dennis Franz play two different characters on the show right. uh, with the long arcs is, is, is a little weird. But yeah, the Odd Couple really use their guest stars. And Phil Leeds is a great example. He came up on a, uh, a Gilbert an old Gilbert episode was talking to a, the the um, writer Ron Friedman who writ, wrote some odd couples and they were talking about how Phil Leaves was blacklisted in the 50s and was very outspoken during the um, hearings 
and he is on like five episodes of the show or multiple episodes playing different characters. So yeah, Richard Stahl definitely being the highlight. Yeah, he he is definitely the 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 uh, I guess I you, I call him the rotating star because he's on six episodes, seven episodes, I and he plays a different part in every one of them. Yes, yeah, it may be more. Maybe I feel like it's. This is somewhere around there, six, seven, eight, nine. I can't remember the number. We did it tally it at one point, um, but he definitely is the best. So I, I, I made a list. I felt the need to make a list of different supporting characters or actors, depending on the situation. And I just figured that is part of the pleasure of this show. Uh, the supporting cast was very unstable. Uh, there, there were people who repeated themselves all the time, but then there were people who came and were never seen again and whatever. Uh, so it, it wasn't a consistent, you know, ensemble cast by any stretch of the imagination. It was Clubman and, and Randall and whoever was with them. But I do think that they generally added to it. The first two on my list, though, I didn't think added that much because I think it was once again, first season trying to mirror the movie a little bit. And that was the Pigeon Sisters. I don't like the Pigeon Sisters. Yep, they're, I don't find them funny. So I'm glad they're gone. I, yeah. I, I, I thought they were, I thought they were more a stepping stone to try and give Oscar and Felix some funny lines. Like they, you yes. know, they, they never delivered anything funny pretty much. And there is also a concern that we've picked up on reading things from ABC that the ABC didn't want, want to make sure no one thought these two were gay men living together. So they had by forcing them to have interested people uh, regularly, you know, people of the opposite sex that they could be interested in romantically, that would help assuage that concern. That's funny, and, and this is going a little field, but in the Thomas Lennon and uh, Matthew Perry version, I think it was in the very first episode, uh, they clearly addressed it in a very clumsy way as far as I was concerned. I they have like a, a female character who says, that seems kind of gay. And Matthew Perry says, it seems very gay. Uh, you know, and, and, and it, it just seemed very clumsy and, and kind of uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, we, we I, I didn't watch many episodes of The New Odd Couple to do our podcast, but I did watch the first one. And I think we even addressed in our podcast how they... Uh, did address it in the first episode at least where obviously in the abc show they never really could now by way of love interests though i actually liked the love interests that they each had as the court the show went on yeah i, yeah. I liked nancy cunningham as oscar's regular I did girlfriend yeah and, and it was very uh, mysterious you know a lot of people say what what what, what happened to joan hodgkiss the actress what what happened i think she had some maybe some play she's a theater actress I'm not sure if we ever got the right answer to why she just disappeared, but she just disappeared and she was missed. Yeah, I, I thought she gave him, they, she, you know, if the writers wanted to latch on to her, which they occasionally did, I thought that she gave him some good jokes and could actually be funny in her own way. Yeah. And add to the story and add to the humor. And you just had to be a little creative because, you know, it seems to me they got rid of her in an effort to make Oscar more of a player. Yeah, I, um, I think they needed, they needed, the the storylines to have Oscar date as part of the storylines. So I do think by introducing a steady girlfriend that early was probably an albatross. So that's probably is why she was gone. Even, even if the actress had some, um, some commitment she had to do because they got so much mileage out of Oscar dating elsewhere. 
Mm-hmm. And but then, uh, you know, I and I heard I remember you and Garrett discussing. You know, was Miriam actually Felix's girlfriend, yes. or was she just yeah. somebody who he was friends with? I think she was his girlfriend. I, I, I do. We agree that the the fact that there are so many times they didn't take advantage of that and or their dialogue in the show or the action in the show made it seem like you're questioning it, or if they were a girlfriend uh, dating, why didn't X happen during these episodes? Um, or how committed he seemed to date other people uh, enough while they still were dating that it was very confusing. So they're dating and he's, she just waiting around for him. He's dating other people. So there were some contradictions that, but I do believe that they were definitely at some point dating, maybe casually only. I, I think him not when he wasn't with her and he was dating somebody else. I just think that's the show's, you know, not caring about continuity. Kind exactly. Of thing. Yes. I don't, I don't That's think it was saying, you know, this is there. I don't think they were ever trying to define no. the relationship. We treated every episode very literally. So we didn't care. They didn't care. We wanted to care. So in our universe of talking about the show, we know they don't care, but we treated it as if they, uh, we treated it as if it was a real universe uh, as Sean was saying, that's what makes you like a show when you believe these are you're stepping into somebody else's world. So we uh, always know they didn't care, but we ignored that and just pretended to care. Well, they also didn't think that people would be able to watch it this way. Exactly. That's what we said to we had no one would pick up on these things because they're not imagining people watching these episodes hundreds of times. 30 years later. <laughs> cool. Like, it goes go five years later and look on PAX. <laughs> Right. They, they just, they're not, they, they, you know, they barely got renewed every year. So the last thing they're thinking about is, oh my God, we're going to have five episodes, five seasons that people will watch over and over again. That's the furthest thing from their mind. So, but, but no, I, go ahead, Sean. Even a further testament to it is the fact that though you can start crafting your own continuity in the areas where there's not, like you'll get, you'll struggle with the contradictions, but you can craft your own continuity. So we we actually considered doing an episode where we would try to actually put together a timeline for events and see where the actual contradictions happened. We we were too, it just seemed overwhelming, so we didn't do it. Now, I do think you eventually had to get rid of Miriam, unfortunately, because I I thought she was great in the part. I thought, you know, she served a good purpose when she was there, but I do think you had to get rid of her because unlike Oscar, Felix was pining over Gloria at all times. So to have him in a happy, you know, committed relationship goes against that. So I think, you know, and, and I love Janice Hansen as Gloria too. So I, she I was great. Kind of okay with that. Yeah. They never really got rid of her. They just, I think I was looking up when her last episode was, I mean, she was there pretty much the whole time after she was introduced, but clearly by the end. And also that's the other thing that Miriam had to realize. I mean, that, um, she was kind of just there as an alternative because it would be hard for her to not notice the fact that Felix's goal in the end was to get back to uh, Gloria. So that's another thing that we would talk about is how could she, like, what relationship could she really think this was? Um, she was at her last episode was season five, episode 17, which is like only a couple episodes away from the finale. So that's the other thing that we would comment is like she must realize this is a casual relationship because and the fact that, again, we're taking the show really literally, like what was Miriam feeling? What did she love Felix? But she knew she could never have Felix because Felix's always heart was always with Gloria. So they never explored that. Of course, why would they? Because it's a sitcom. 
but that's the type of thing that we love to talk about on the podcast is like this real world of this woman who could never have the man, but did she even care? We never found out any of that stuff. They gave you a they- that you could feel the peaks and troughs of a relationship, even though it didn't necessarily play out on screen. Yes. But that part, that part is awesome. Yeah. They did have some episodes and I, and I remember hearing you guys talk about it on your show where they did get a little serious in the performances, at least for a moment, you know, they, they didn't get, overly maudlin, but there were some moments where they got serious, especially showing Felix's devotion to his children. Yeah. Uh, in particular, I'm thinking about the episode, uh, you know, when, when he wouldn't quit as the uh, football coach because he didn't want his son to think he was a quitter. And there's I, a moment there in that show for, you know, 30 seconds or whatever, where it's very serious when he's giving his presentation and it's almost Emmy worthy of what Tony Randall was doing. I just got that script in the mail. I haven't read it yet to see how different it is. Um, agreed. The The biggest times were Felix, um, and this was an area where Felix didn't contradict, is that he was very serious about his children. Unlike Everybody Loves Raymond or almost any other show with children that sometimes seemed to ignore the children around, um, they were very consistent, even if the actors weren't the same every time, that Felix really adored his children, was a really good father, uh, as a divorced man, which alone in the 70s was a pretty um, bold topic to tackle on, take on, and uh, they would get serious. He was definitely always interested in the health and welfare of his kids and how they thought about him. Um, and so those were some of the more serious moments. Also, when he would show his love for Gloria, that also would be a time where he was a little bit... Uh, more serious especially in the in the final episode i thought he came out with just you know the occasional moment where it really came through uh, and i thought that was key yeah and they got lucky i mean most shows that last five seasons do not get a chance to wrap up a storyline so the fact that they could um and usually the thought is in syndication you don't want to end the shows with a final episode that wraps it up because that makes syndication historically the ratings uh, lower because there is an ending. And so it feels like a serialized show less than a um, self-contained episodes. So it's pretty remarkable they got a chance to do that. And it, and it worked out. And I think it gave us the view of the fan some satisfaction. So we had two, two actors playing Leonard and two actors playing Edna. Yes. And I'm curious what your take is on who was better and you know how 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 you felt about them we i don't think during talking about them uh that we felt that any they both were very good and they were right for their their time and um uh i think on um edna i prefer not uh pamela verndon not donnie oatman uh if i had to pick one um Tony Oatman, maybe it is. And then uh, uh, I thought both Leonard's were good. Leaf Garrett and I can't remember the other one's name. Do you Will, that? Williams. Will Williams, right. Uh, they're both very good. Williams, I think, was was uh, he was very young in the show. So I guess prefer Leaf Garrett. But, um, you know, I don't look at them and think, oh, I wish it was the other one playing them because I think they were fine for the time. See, I thought... My my take on it, I agree with you on the two Leonard's. I think they were pretty much equal. 
in their performances. And I, it doesn't even jump out at me that there's different actors playing the parts. Uh, with Edna, the, the distinction between Tony Oakman and Pamela Ferdin are significant enough that they do stand out to me in my mind. Uh, Tony Oakman seemed older, and I guess it was late in the later seasons and she too. Was, yeah, she was older. But but I thought that Pamela Ferdin fit the part better being younger. I thought him having a younger daughter made for a better dynamic with Tony Randall. So I agree. I think yeah. that's the reason I prefer her, not because of any inconsistency from either of their performances, but I just think it fit better than... I was going to oh, sorry, say about Tony Oakman, I think one of the strikes against her for me is the a Paul Williams episode is not a favorite of mine. And I think that act, the, the character of Edna, who's now older, she has to age in the show, running away to be with Paul Williams, which was probably very much of it. There's some episodes of The Odd Couple that feel dated. There's some, many, many don't. And that's what makes it so great. But running away to follow Paul Williams feels dated. And I, she's in that episode and it's not her fault. It just makes me when i think of her i think of that episode and therefore I, that's one reason i like pam when more it's funny because i happen to actually like that episode a lot it makes me laugh uh but and, it and, makes and, you and laugh I, too i but i just don't like it but i understand it's funny there's something about it i just don't like the plot yeah, but I, I hear what you're saying i told you how you know my friend and i would do lines all the time and uh that's that's one that comes up a lot a lot of times when it's something silly that that's going on we'll you will uh you know ape the if i don't see paul williams i'm gonna die <laughs> and then and then we go from there you know you teenage group or you older groupies whatever it is that he says there uh yeah and that's eddie garrett saying that again yes yeah, yeah. it's one of, one of eddie garrett's few speaking few, lines yes and few funny speaking lines but that's, I mean, that whole thing, I could do without the little song that he writes and all of that. But, yes. but yeah. you know, the episode itself does make me laugh for the, for, for just because of the overreactions, mostly from Felix. Oh, the other, the other line that we do uh, a lot of times is where, where Felix points at her and Oscar's like, wow, it's, that's Edna. You know, like he's, he's ogling her because he doesn't yeah. realize it's his best friend's daughter. I don't know. It makes me laugh every time. But uh, moving, moving off them, uh, the elimination, effectively, of the poker group is kind yeah. of a strange thing to me. I, I'm a little surprised they did that. Yeah, I guess they just found that the poker, you know, they kept Roy left. They kept Vinny and, of course, Murray, uh, Vinny a little bit, um, and then and Speed more, and then Murray, obviously, the most. Um, I, I guess they just didn't need as many recurring players. Again, you don't know if there's other things going on, but... Um, at the poker game, clearly they felt maybe hamstrung by the fact that they had to, if they wanted to do poker games a lot, they needed these characters to do other things. So I certainly didn't miss them. Uh, they kept it up a bit. Um, but I, I never felt that the poker games added enough to the show to matter. Well, you know, I mentioned earlier, and we're going to get to him in a moment, but I mentioned Richard Stahl being kind of an MVP. But you know, on a much more regular basis, Murray, Al Molinaro was an MVP on the show. And I think yes. that's reflected by the fact that your show would rate the episodes by how many Murrays you would get. Yes. yes. And but, I mean, we, he was so good in the show. He was great. And in the opening, the opening to our show and our opening music, the, it's our, our, each episode of our show after a little while started with Murray saying to Oscar, where's 1049 Park Avenue? 
and Oscar says, this is 1049 Park Avenue. Murray's in the apartment. Yeah, definitely. Al Molinaro added so much to that show. Um, he really is the third star. Um, just like I'm sure you'll get to Penny Marshall eventually. Um, he made, you know, he elevated everything he was in. Uh, even the horrible, um, no, the belly, there's a belly, there's, there's a belly dance episode, the Greek episode. And then there's a scene with belly dancing and which is boring. But, uh, when Murray starts to belly dance, he makes it funny. So, um, just everything Murray does was funny. And, and it was funny despite the fact that it became very repetitive. Let's give another big nose joke. Let's give another big nose joke. And it was still funny. They were they were great nose jokes. I mean, they didn't overdo it. They could have overdone it, but they were repetitive, but enough, not enough so to make it uh, feel that you could predict it was coming or that it was boring. They were used sparingly enough only when they knew they had the joke. Like when Murray puts his nose through the door to identify himself. <laughs> yes. That, you know, there's there was enough there that uh, they were all gems, I think, for the most part. So you didn't feel like they were dipping into the well too many times. The other thing about it, I thought, you know, trying to look a little bit more deeply into it was Al Malinaro's reaction to the jokes. Because he would kind of like, you know, just kind of nod his head and, you know, kind of look resigned to it and all of that. So because he would react so complacently, it never felt to me like it was mean spirited. Where, where no, it could have come off as such. They also called him dumb a lot and they made him look dumb a lot. And same reaction. You didn't feel like they were beating him up. You felt like they were his friends. Or they were his friend. And um and you never I never really felt bad for Murray. Because No, I didn't think he ever had to feel bad. No, Cause, and cause that's because of was... the way he portrayed it, as you say. Yeah, and he, he always seemed like a happy person. So, you know, why, why, you know, why would you ever, you know, feel bad for him? And then, as you said, going from there to Myrna. And, and that, you know, that was Gary Marshall casting his sister. So that could have been a big flop, but she was great. She was great. Yeah, she also adds so much. She was perfect for that role. Um, you know, if you, you would cast her, even if you weren't related to her, because she was just, she was just perfect. And obviously... You know, clearly it was a major talent that waiting to blossom between what, you know, what happened after the show to her. So um, that was great. And it's interesting to see what happened afterwards, because uh, this weekend, I don't know if it was on Catchy Comedy or some other channel, but they were doing a, a Happy Days marathon. Uh, and they showed the, the first episode where Laverne and Shirley were on, and I happened to catch that. And when you, after watching The Odd Couple, you know, more intensely in the last couple of weeks and then seeing her in that role and how different it was, how different a presentation was, you know, in, in as Laverne, she was the confident, uh, you know, more sexy uh, person, which you can't see her. You, know, you see the performance as Myrna and you can't see that that same person was able to do both of those things, but she was, and it shows you that she had a lot more talent than, you know, than just being the producer's sister. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I, I would like to think Gary Marshall was uh, not the type of person who would just bring on his sister just to give his sister a job, but because his sister was the right person for the job. That's the way it comes across to me. It's same, same to me as well. And that her longevity, her longevity backs all that up. Oh yeah, my God. absolutely. I mean, yes. You take a yeah. look at everything that she's done both on screen and off screen. 
it's um this show when you take a look at the guest list on it or and and the reoccurring cast oh my gosh it's a it's a who's who of people that had long very long careers um it's this this was a destination show yeah they got a lot of good people a lot of people didn't go on to much but they definitely featured a lot of people famous at the time and then people not so famous who became famous so they really had a, a rich a rich guest star appearance well, I have, I have a list of five names, and these are people who did at least more, more than one guest appearance. It might have just been two, uh, but I'm curious to get your take on each of them. And then we'll talk about the more famous guest stars that they had, and I think there's an interesting dynamic with them. But on my uh, repeating guest star list, I'm just going to read them off. I have Richard Stahl, Bill Leeds, Leonard Barr, John Fiedler, and Victor Buono. And I'm curious yeah. for your takes on any of those so definitely, we talked about Richard Stahl and Phil Leeds. Uh, John Fiedler was great. You know, um, Gary and I were just talking how the episodes he was in, he was managing a dog in in both ways. In both episodes, he had a dog that was part of his shtick, which we thought we didn't weren't sure was a coincidence. But he was great um, in both episodes. You know, he plays that the type of kind of like little petulant, bossy type of person so well. Um, and who'd you say before uh, uh, Victor Bono? What was the fourth name? It was Leonard, Leonard Barr. Oh, Leonard Barr. So I was watching Diamonds Forever this weekend, which he's in. And, um, Shady Tree. Shady Tree, <laughs> that's right. And Leonard, and he's great too. You know, they use him. The audience reacts when they see him. He doesn't really say anything in the show. Like, he isn't actually he's just playing himself, kind of just there goofing around. But he is really funny. Well, he was um, the mayor of Thoreau. <laughs> yes, that's right. He was. You're right. That's the probably the episode where he has the most to say. But still, it almost seems like he never really knows what's going on. But I think that's his shtick. But yes, as the mayor of, of Pahrumpf, he was great. Um, and it's the dance, you know, the the dancer, the comedian when in the talent contest. Um, Victor Bono, I don't like the occult episode. I do not uh, enjoy that episode. But when he is. Um, the manager of the apartment building. Why can't I think of his name? Oh, uh, Mr. Lovelace. Mr. Lovelace. He's great. That's such a great episode. He's such a great adversary for the for the fellas. Um, so uh, enjoyed him on that. I just his other episode. He's in two other episodes, right? He's in. The, he was in two episodes. He was the the Exorcist and the Exorcist. Uh, Apartment Strike. Yeah, I don't enjoy the Exorcist episode, so I. I, I yeah, I, I, yeah I, I definitely have episodes I don't like, um, so I don't enjoy that episode. But um, Mr. Lovelace, he's, you know, he's the perfect casting for that. Now, just uh, back to Leonard Barr for a moment, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that he's Dean Martin's uncle. Yes. Um, but there's also the element of uh, the episode where uh, Oscar brings him in as a faith healer, and he puts his hands on Felix's shoulders and says, heal, heal, stand up straight. And then he's, can you feel the power within these hands? No. And then he walks away and feels man couldn't heal chapped lips. Was that season one? Or is that? Uh, I uh, no, I think it's later. It's it's when they want to do the bowling uh, tournament. Oh, yes. I'm not that's sure right. where that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. To bowl, not to bowl, I think it is. Okay. I'd forgotten that. Ep- I'd forgotten he was in that. But I do, now that you say it, I remember it now. Yeah. And, and then it's Felix's line of the man, the man couldn't heal chapped lips that just cracks me up every time. Yeah, Glennard was was a great uh, recurring person in there. 
So yeah, now those those are the ones who came around multiple times. Actually, Howard Cosell came multiple times. So did Monty Hall. But those were yes. different guest stars. Those were people who were coming on playing themselves first of all, mm-hmm. uh, and then there were the other people. You know, it, it's interesting that the dynamic of who came when, because you got to think that some of the more artsy people that were on were Tony Randall's choice they were. that he That's wanted them the- on. That's been discussed. Ron Friedman, who wrote a couple of those episodes, was again was on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast and talked about that. Yes, it's clear that Jack got to have some sports people on. Tony got his opera people on. I do not like those episodes at all. Um, the Richard Fredericks episode, Rigoletto, I actually don't watch. I, I do. If I watch The Odd Couple in order, I skip season one, and there's probably six episodes between season two and season five that I don't watch because I can't actually watch them. I find them just bad. Uh, so, yeah, so they definitely got to have their different guest stars mixed in. There's, there's an episode with Marilyn Horn and Howard Cosell that's fairly well known that that wasn't supposed to happen, but there was a, some booking conflict between Jack getting Howard Cosell and Tony getting the opera singer Marilyn Horn. And so they had to create one episode with both of them. So they had to make Howard Cosell an opera fan. Um, it's not a great episode, but that's happened, you know, I don't know, however many episodes have the different sports and, and opera stars or ballet stars because they each got to have a say. Do you have a favorite of the more famous guest stars? Well, because of the Let's Make a Deal episode, the, you know, the horse, I guess Monty Hall is my favorite. He also isn't that intrusive. Howard Cosell's funny. It's a very over the top. So I guess I'd have to get Monty Hall just because Let's Make a Deal is one of my favorite episodes. See, I think Monty Hall on the show came off as very uh, casual and likable. Uh, so, so like, I didn't have any problem with him at all uh, on the show, and I enjoyed that. Howard Cosell, uh, I actually enjoy the Marilyn Horn one better. Then the first one, when uh, I think it was called the Big Mouth, where yeah. when the, you know he's doing the advertising, that one felt a little bit more abrasive to me when I watched it. It was, it is abrasive. It's meant to be. It's funny, but I agree, it's abrasive. Yeah. So you know, it's but you know, I I was uh, I participated in a uh, podcast called Listen to the Prophets, where we reviewed every episode of Deep Space Nine from the beginning oh, to the end. Love Deep Space Nine, uh, and and as do I. But it's funny because when you start reviewing them as a critic as opposed to as a fan you know if you're going to do the show i think you have to be a little bit more critical and you're going to see the flaws that you don't see just sitting on your couch watching an episode and we get the occasional email saying you know if you don't like the show why are you bothering to do it yeah and and i guarantee you because you were very honest in your opinions about these episodes i guarantee you that there have been emails that you've gotten to that we absolutely yes we got it more on facebook the emails we got were always supportive the when I was part of a, the only place we marketed the show was a Facebook group where we were well embraced, but we got comments from people go, why do you nitpick the show? If you don't like it, why are you talking about it? And we would say we nitpick because we love. Yeah. Because we've watched them hundreds of times to and know enough to nitpick and we wouldn't watch them hundreds of times. If we didn't like them. So I absolutely agree with you. There's definitely, and I didn't realize this until I started to doing a podcast is how there are people who think if you want to point out, problems, contradictions, errors in a show that somehow that makes it that you don't like it, which is, I just don't understand that sort of thinking. So, um, 
there's a I'm a, my favorite movie of all time is It's a Wonderful Life, and you know I love it. But there's a and there's a Facebook group where there are people who talk about inconsistencies and why didn't this happen and why didn't this happen. And there's you can see groups of people saying, I don't like to think about this. Why you guys don't like the movie? And I yeah I don't understand that. I don't get it. <laughs> If you want to watch something, we'll use your It's a Wonderful Life thing as an example. If you want to watch it on a surface level and not get into the intricacies of the show or the movie and the contradictions and any weaknesses in the performances or anything like that, then don't join the Facebook group uh, and don't listen to the podcast. That's, Just watch it and enjoy it. Ultimately, I would write to this person on Facebook and say, I guess our podcast isn't for you. Yeah, that's that's, that's my take on it too. But you know, uh, I've seen things where people are overly uh, enthusiastic. Uh, I'm a big Star Trek fan, and uh, I'm, I'm you know I'm a geek <laughs> deep down inside. I have two books in particular that I'm going to compare. One of them is is a Star Trek book where they go over every episode, and one of them is a Twilight Zone book where they go over every episode. And this is predates podcasts. But I remember reading the Star Trek book and saying, whoever wrote this felt that the people who made this show could do no wrong. Everything in there is wonderful. Every performance nuance is wonderful. And, and there was never any critique where, you know, this is where it fell short in this episode. And I think anybody who's a true fan knows there's really great episodes and there's some that don't hold up. Uh, the Twilight Zone book was much more honest. I remember it saying, you know, this episode fails because of this, whereas other episodes, they say this episode is wonderful because of this. And I found that to be a much more enjoyable reading experience because I felt it was more honest. And that's the same way I feel about the podcast. The fact that you could sit here and tell me you love this show, but you don't like these episodes tells me you're giving me your real opinion on it and that you're going into it the right way. That's what I want to hear. There's no point in doing a podcast that isn't discussing honest feelings or giving pros and cons. Otherwise, I don't know what there is to listen to. It's also, I want to get to know you. I want to get to know your opinions. And they, they're they not all going to be cookie cutter the same as mine. I mean, like, if we watch the same program, we could watch the same season. And we're going to find different episodes of our favorites, different episodes that we didn't care for. Um, there may be some parody between that and that. That often happens, and but even when there's parody, we might dislike the same episode for different reasons. Yeah. Um, that's to me the entertaining part is getting to know your thought process. How did you get there? <laughs> what was that experience like for you? Um, yeah. if, if we're not drones, you should be able to enjoy somebody else's experience um, without their opinion 100% having to match your own. It's, it's a different way of looking at it. By the way, I have Star Trek scripts that I'm, I've also purchased recently, and I'm now watching the show, seeing what was in the script that wasn't in the show. Mm. It's not quite as interesting as The Odd Couple, but it's still pretty interesting. You know what? If you, I'm going to throw out to you right now. If you do it and you have enough differences, I would love to have you on again to talk about them. Okay. I, I, I think I have I, – I might. I might. I also have one deep – my favorite Deep Space Nine episode um, – which is the Troubles with Tribbles reboot or relook yeah. back. Um, I have that script as well. It's pretty similar to the show. So I'll follow up if I have enough. Okay. Yeah. I would I'm sure uh, I have listeners that would love to hear that. Okay. Unless you're gonna unless you're gonna do it on ten forty nine Park Avenue. No, no, that would not be an approach. <laughs> Garrett is not a Star Trek fan. Ah, see, that makes me sick. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know, it, it just kind of 
thinking about what we were just talking about and saying, you know, okay, the fact that I think I'm probably more tolerant of some of the episodes that give you a distaste, uh, you know, in the first season or, you know, whichever ones, uh, that doesn't make me a bigger fan of the show than you. No. That just means we have different tastes and there's different things that, you know, that we, you know, find enjoyable about it. And that's great. I don't think there's anything wrong. No, I, uh, I, I, we expect when we, we knew when we did the podcast that by not doing season one episodes, which was, uh, Garrett was, think, more willing to do it than I. We did just do an episode that covered the whole show, but, you know, I hadn't watched them in so long. I, I tried watching them again and I just couldn't get through them. Uh, but we knew when we did that that there would be people who uh, were on the opposite side and just, some there's some people who like episode season one more than the other season. Do you think you'd feel that way if you hadn't seen the other seasons? Uh, we talked about that. Um, I I think I would be if there was one season of that show only. I would look at the show and say, "Ah, I don't like it." I don't think I would say, "Oh, these are terrible," because I wouldn't have some, or because I, I never would have dreamed what it could have been. I just would have said, "Oh, that's that's the show from that movie." I, I don't like MASH is another show. I cannot take MASH at all. I know people adore that show. It was on 11 seasons. I don't like the laugh track. I don't like the setting. I don't think it's funny. I don't get it. I don't like the actors. And I like the, some of them individually. I just really don't like MASH. And I know a lot of people don't say that. But MASH was MASH. So Odd Couple, I think I would just look at the show and say, oh, it's an interesting show, but uh, it's not for me. I, as, amazing. Opposed to, as opposed right. to really disliking it. I, I just uh, I feel the need to just throw in, I am not a mesh devotee. There are episodes that I like very much, but there's, to me, the show got a little too preachy as it went on. Uh, and and the, the initial episodes, there's some similarity to season one of The Odd Couple that it felt like it was a work in progress and they hadn't really found their footing yet. So when you combine the two, uh, it, it is not on my all-time list the way The Odd Couple is. You know, we, we talked earlier about how I uh, I am more a fan of older shows. It's just the fact. Uh, and some friends of mine and I were saying, you know, what's our five favorite comedies of all time? And while the order of them might change, with the exception of number one, which has always been The Odd Couple, uh, I they're all older shows. With You know, the only show that's more recent is Seinfeld. The other shows on my top five of all time are uh, The Honeymooners, uh, the old Abbott and Costello show, and Car 54, Where Are You? Those those are my five favorite sitcoms Wait, of all time. Uh, those those are four. And and Seinfeld. Okay. With Seinfeld, uh, Car 54, Abbott and Costello, Odd Couple, what's the fifth? Honeymooners. Honeymooners, right. So mine are Seinfeld, I'm uh, sorry, uh, not in any order as well. Um, Odd Couple, Honeymooners, I Love Lucy, uh, Seinfeld, and I think I put Family Ties in there. Okay, that's another more more recent. More recent. <laughs> so, so it makes you more recent than me, at least. Uh, and that's that's off the cuff. You know, we hadn't. I, I I did not throw out to the guys. Hey, have a list of your top five no, favorites. No. I get <laughs> I get asked that a lot. What are my favorite shows of all? Favorite show of all time, which I cannot answer. What's my favorite show of all time? So I always divide it up into five comedies and five dramas. And I sometimes give different answers at different times. Comedies I find a little easier because I only have, I think, those five where I watch. I mean, I watch I Love Lucy with every meal except Saturday nights when I eat with my wife. 
So I see that. And and uh, by the way, I Lucy, I don't watch season one. Also of that show. And there are episodes I skip. So I have season two through six. But I probably watch only 70 to 80 percent of season two, season six, because I episodes I don't like. So I always thought everyone watched TV that way if they're rewatching shows. But I guess I'm wrong. Seinfeld, I don't have that problem. And Honeymooners, except for the Mambo episode, which I don't like, although I know other people do. But there's only 39 Honeymooners, so it's a little easier to like them all. Mm. Just uh, just because I feel the need. You know, we also talked about our five favorite dramas of all time. Okay. I'm trying to, rem- I'm trying to remember what I came up with. I think number one on my list, no question, number one on my list was Breaking Bad. Uh, and then after that, I had NYPD Blue, uh, The Sopranos, Dallas of all shows, and uh, I don't remember what my fifth one was off the top, off the top of my head. Uh, mine are tough. Uh, these aren't, by the way, these aren't the best shows. These are my favorite yeah, favorites. There's a difference yeah. between best and favorite. Uh, and I, I, you know, I'm writing my list before I say it because I can't really. I know I'm going to change. I'm going to give you six because. I'm going to give you seven because I can only do that. Um, Mission Impossible, Hawaii Five-O, the original, Star Trek, the original, The Orville. Oh, interesting. Spencer for Hire, Mannix, and Alien Nation on Fox. Oh, it's interesting. Well, I would see. I I left I Star Trek off because I just say, well, that's science fiction. I'm going to put that in a different category oh. to, give my, to give myself room to have others in there. Oh, <laughs> not I, not because that's a logical thing, but just because it, it allows me to put other ones in. Uh, so yeah, I, but I right, mean, if, I, gonna, if, if we weren't going to include it, that would be my fit. Wait, here's the thing, though. Fit. I love the shout out to Alien Nation. That was like I was like wasn't expecting that. I was like, oh, cool. well, I just that show. I so which I mean, there were some TV movies, but I love that show. All right, if I'm going to move Star Trek, if I'm moving science fiction off, so that takes Star Trek, Marvel, <laughs> and Alien Nation off. I have Mission Impossible, Y Five O, Spencer for Hire, Mannix. And I'm going to add Law and Order as my fifth. Okay, very good. Although NYPD, uh, Blue, I love NYPD Blue. I'm going to do a rewatch on that when I'm done with Hill Street. Yeah, I, you know what? I did the reverse. I during the pandemic, I did an NYPD Blue rewatch, and then I followed that up with Hill Street. And I kind of wish I had done it the way you're doing it because I think Hill Street is better if you're not comparing it to NYPD Blue. Oh, interesting. Okay, I'll find that out. I guess the other way around. Also. I watched a 12-hour interview with Stephen Bochco and hearing how that he, you know, how he progressed from one show to the other. I think there's some sort of continuity there to understand um, stuff from Hill Street that kind of feeds into NYPD Blue. One of the best things I discovered in Hill Street Blues, I don't know if you did, was there's a character named Sonny Crockett in Hill Street Blues before he was Miami Vice. And Anthony Yurkovich, who created Miami Vice, wrote that episode of Hill Street Blues, named this complete asshole of a character, Sonny Crockett, who showed up for like three episodes, and then used that name on Miami Vice, which I, I thought was- I not noticed that. Yeah, that was great. So that's, I think that's why I'm watching in order, although I didn't really intend to do it this way. I just feel like it's happened. I think it's, I think that is the better way to do it though. We're still talking about the, the odd couple. Yeah, well, I was going to bring us back to the yeah, <laughs> well, t- tangents are the way I work, but I want to bring it back unless Sean has something. 
Actually, I got the I got a question for the odd couple for both of you guys. So my experience obviously is very different than both of yours. Uh, for this episode, I watched episodes of season one first because um, that was just what was available to me. I watch it on Paramount Plus, so they had um, they have a sprinkling of episodes available. They don't have like the full seasons, so it was a good way for me to get kind of my feet wet for this. I enjoyed greatly the episodes of season one. After that, watching later seasons watching episodes from them to get kind of a flavor for where the show went totally agree that it's a it's a superior show later but greatly enjoyed season one where would you recommend because i bought the series i that's and not because i had to i i was that invested by the time i was done with my watching that i'm like okay i want to see all of this now for a new viewer though where would you recommend people to start with this because i'm sure there's people listening to this like me you know are, are kind of just dipping their toe into this show. And I see this being one that eventually winds up on my top five because of where I'm at right now, but I haven't watched it all in order to have it in that place yet. Uh, I do think that's a very personal question in a way that's subjective. You know, I, I, I don't think I would tell people not to watch season one because I know people enjoy it. So I guess my honest answer without bringing any of my biases into it would be to start at season one, just be aware that if you don't like it and you just want to you don't think it's a show for you, you should stop and go to season two. And once you're in season two, um, I would start with, um, I guess, the Sleepwalker episode, which is episode four of that season, which is probably where it really starts to take off. There are three episodes before that that are okay. Um, Felix's wife's boyfriend is episode two, which is a pretty good episode. Um, and there's one ep- episode after Sleepwalker, Grave for Felix, that I also find not good. In fact, there's four episodes, I think, instead of season two that we didn't do full episodes on because I, I don't think they're very good. So I think it's a tough question to answer because it's subjective. So ultimately, I do, I'd do. i say do what you do, which is start with season one. If you like it, great. Just be aware it's going to change. Maybe you'll see that for the good. Maybe you won't. I don't know anyone who doesn't like season two through five, but like season one. Um, but if you don't like season one, then you can look for something else at the beginning of season two. Although the first episode of season two, Natural Childbirth, feels a little bit more like season one. So you may want to start with episode two. Is that a too convoluted an answer? Or did that answer? No, no it's, it's actually, uh, and, and it actually matches a lot of my experience. With having watched season one, I, I enjoyed it. I had a, I had a good time with it. Um, did notice the differences as you started to get into the later episodes that were from the later seasons. Um, but um, to your point, I, I didn't find that that took away from my enjoyment. It was just the opposite. I, I was noticing, oh my gosh, the show is evolving into something just really cool. Um, so yeah, that's it, I'm thrilled that we I got a chance to participate in this conversation just because it opened me up to a show that uh, I hadn't ripped open yet to this level. So just in in you know my thoughts about your question is uh because the show was not a slave to continuity mm-hmm. uh with the exception of the final episode which kind of wraps things up i think you can almost jump into the show anywhere yeah uh, and see what you think and i but i do agree with ted that the tone and the presentation changes dramatically between season one and season two the the you know once you get past season one we you kind of they develop a consistency so if you start watching in season one and you don't like it, that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to dislike the show. And I would say give it a, a try with the later ones. But other than that, 
you know, small asterisk. I think you can jump in just about anywhere. And once you learn these characters, you can. And what's really, what's really interesting about this show compared to many long running shows is that there is no appearance of later episodes being different enough that you feel that, oh, this is later. All in the Family, which I love, you know, once Mike and Glory move out, things changed. Um, probably Cheers is close and that does not a lot of things change. But Star Trek season three, a lot of people don't think Star Trek season three is very good. Uh, Hill Street Blues, you know, loses Stephen Bochco. NYPD Lou loses cast members. The odd couple really acts out of this big change in season one and season two. Between two and five, there's nothing that really makes it feel like, oh, this is a later season. You couldn't identify the show unless you know it well by the season uh, if you just picked a random episode, which for most shows, especially ones that last longer, they just tend to not be as good later because people leave, kids age, writers leave. That just doesn't happen with this show. And that's so accurate based on what was available to me. I had to do that. Yes. So, and it was a great watching experience. It wasn't like I was sitting here like, oh, geez, I missed something. Or there's some nugget there that I need to know that makes me well, involved in the show. So I think this is a good place that there are some key episodes you need to watch if you really want to enjoy the show. So I'm going to go through my favorite episodes. Is that okay? Which, just uh, as an aside, I think your favorite episode and my favorite episode are one and the same. Okay, well, I'm going to, I'll mention, I'll mention that first then, which is I got to be me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, are you writing down, Sean? It looks like you're writing. I am. Okay, I got to be me is a role reversal episode where Felix and Oscar, for a very logical reason, are told to pretend they're the other person. That's um, my favorite episode. The other episodes that I think most fans love the most um are a path there's a password episode an episode called password that's set uh where they play password with alan Ludden and betty white there's the flying felix where felix and oscar are on airplane um i love um uh the pen is mightier and that one just added a whole new level of enjoyment to me when you point when you mentioned the original casting uh for uh yes for uh, uh the the teacher mr um yeah in the monk at the odd monks uh i forget the character the actor's name oh but, sorry the odd but, yes yes draw draw mr ferguson the actor was supposed to be uh the monk in odd monks yes yes that, that just took on a whole new level when i found that out um uh the other episode that uh, so uh, it's not on this way on my list but there's are you aware, Sean, of the most of the famous phrase that came out of Odd Couple that many people don't know is from the Odd Couple? Not off, not off the top of my head. So have you have not, you ever heard the phrase? Uh, if you assume you make an ass out of you and me, have you heard that yeah, phrase? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that actually, we did a lot of work on this. That is attributed to this TV show, not to anything else. We believe oh. it came from a writer whose relative may have said it to him, and then he incorporated it into the show. Um, so that's the episode that we just did, um, uh, My Strife in Court, is that episode. Oh, that's another person we haven't mentioned, Paul, is Kurt Conway, who plays judge. a judge in multiple episodes, and it's great. So I would watch that, uh, Sean, simply because you'll see the origin of this phrase. Mm-hmm. And the other other episode I'm going to mention, I don't know if everyone considers it a classic, but I would 
say to you, Sean, by the way, have you watched any of these and what you were able to get to? I've seen Password. Okay. Um, Shuffling off to Buffalo, um, where Felix goes to live with his brother um, in Buffalo. Uh, There's something to me about telling a story where I feel like this is the richest story in the show. It's a story where I feel that a lot of change has happened to these characters. There's an evolution. There's a family. There's something very rich to me about this story that's told in 26 minutes that feels like I've experienced uh, a major episode in the lives of these characters. And the casting of, of Felix's brother is so perfect um, that uh, I would recommend that one as well. I don't think that qualifies to the gold standard of of odd couple episodes like the other ones I mentioned. Paul, did I, I think it's, it's, good. Out? it's good. It's I'm sure if I looked over all the episodes, I'd find two or three others. The provided to, to the list. Um, yeah, but I'm trying but to keep it to, to something a little digestible for Sean. What what I what I will say is every one of the ones that you mentioned, I think, is a gem. So yeah. that that much I, I will absolutely say. Other gems. Shuffle up to Buffalo. Uh, there are definitely other gems, but um, I think I think the thing we we're leaving out of the conversation, Sean, you're asking, is if you ask the question the other way, I don't have a lot of time to watch Odd Couple. So if I just want to watch the best ones, what would you recommend? So I was answering that question. I'm going to take on I'm going to take on Garrett's role for a second and say okay. those those are biggies. Those are biggies. Yes, those are biggies. Yes, yes, yeah. And my, my wife was uh, is there... asking because I was watching it for this. So it actually this actually gives us something to uh, go and do spinning out of this episode. Did she watch Password? She did not. She hasn't watched any of it with me yet. So okay. she, she walked in multiple times when I was watching and she, and like became interested, but um, just it came in partway through. So now wants to like sit down and do a viewing with me. So um, actually, we'll start watching these. Yeah, if you can, I would sit through password again. If she knows the password is especially, which mm-hmm. I guess who doesn't, right? Um, and everyone knows Betty White. I would rewatch that with her. I remember when she had her own show years and years and years ago. Man, she had a couple of them, but yes. <laughs> no, is, is, doesn't that Felix say that to her? I remember when you had a show. Oh, yes, yes, sorry. Just, I didn't realize. Yeah, that yes, many, yes. huh? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I didn't. I should have picked up on the joke. Yes, yes. When he sorry. says that off stage. No, that's a great, that's a great reference. Yeah. But uh, before we wrap it up, I just, uh, you know, and, and I want to thank you again for coming on. But before oh, we wrap my pleasure. it up. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, is there anything else about the show that we haven't kind of gotten into, at least peripherally, that made it so special that I'm missing? I don't think so. We covered guest stars. We covered casting. We covered the writing. uh, We covered the era. We covered, I think there's something for you and me about us growing up in New York and it being on so often. So I associated so much with my childhood that um, I think there's only, you know, that's unique to those people. So I don't know that that can be, repli- obviously can't be replicated. No, I think we covered the real elements of the show that made it so good. We didn't talk that much about the writers um, like Jerry Belson and um, Mark uh, Lowell. Gans. Um, I can't even think of their name at the moment. There's the great writing teams on the show, great writers. So we didn't address that that much. We didn't go into their names. Um, but we acknowledge the writing is great. 
So, no, I think we hit all the major spots. I really do. I think so as well. And I, I do think the writing is critical. And the biggest thing to me is the casting of Jack Lugman and Tony Randall and it being Mark, so perfect for it. Mark Rothman and Lowell Gans are the writing team I was trying to say. Yes, I, the, the, the number one is the casting. And number two is the writing. You know, after that, it doesn't really matter. If you get those two things nailed, that's every great show in TV. Yeah, true. So once again, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up with that. Well, I'm gonna you know what? We this show is called Is It Yours? And what we do is we rate shows on the on the Jaws scale, and we do this with movies primarily. We've only done a handful of episodes on TV shows. But the way we rate it is if we rate it as Jaws, we're saying it's one of the greatest of all time, you know, just, just an all-time classic. Jaws 2, we say, well, it's, you know, it's good, but it's, you know, not a classic. Jaws 3, we say, it was okay, I watched it, I enjoyed it, but it's nothing special. And then Jaws 4, we're saying something is bad. There is no doubt in my mind that this is a Jaws-level show. I, I, I believe it is a Jaws-level show in your mind as well, or you wouldn't have done as many hours podcasting about it as you did. Absolutely. Uh, but but being the kind of outsider looking in and stepping in through the door with us, Sean, is this show Jaws to you, or is it something less? No, here's uh, here's the reason why it is Jaws. Um, and I'll, I'll put an asterisk on that. I have not watched all of it. But having watched episodes from season one, having watched episodes from multiple other seasons afterwards, season one episodes were enough to hook me in that I wanted to watch more of it. I didn't have to for this. I could have come in and just said, oh, guys, you know, well, I want to know more about it. Sure, but don't really care. I went and bought it. I mean, so I, like, I wanted to own this. Um, just because there are episodes, I watch it on Paramount Pro Streaming. Um, they don't have all the episodes, so I immediately am like, "Well, I want all of the episodes. I'd like to see everything, even if there's ones that aren't uh, gems." Um, that's a sign of a great show. Um, I told my wife about it because I knew she would enjoy it. I mean, that says a lot about a show when sight unseen. You know, she hasn't seen it yet. I'm like, "Honey, you're gonna really dig this. Um, this is a must-watch show. It holds up." Um, we can. The characters are relatable. The situations are relatable. You can parallel it to your life or to somebody you know in your life in some way. That's a sign of a great show. It is comfort food, and um, there's there's something to being able to say that about a show. That my my top five comedies are shows that are comfort food. This one, I see it being eventually a top five. For me, I just haven't I haven't had the experience either of you have had yet to be able to have it in that place. But it's definitely Jaws. It's um, when you when you watch enough episodes. I've watched I want to say about twelve episodes now, and I went and bought it. Um, that when you say me. buy, you bought it on DVD. Where did you buy Blu-ray. it? Blu-ray. Blu-ray. Okay. Just to be aware, there are some music edits mm-hmm. that are not necessarily critical to the show. That's the biggest difference between the Blu-ray and the TV episodes. Is there so a lot of music in the show that gets cut because Paramount didn't want to pay for the rights for Blu-ray. What are your five favorite comedies? I'm curious. Well, this is just off the cuff, so yes, I, yeah. So, we're, so, so, we're, so let's put a little disclaimer and caveat off of that one. But the the disclaimer or the asterisk is if you ask me again tomorrow, it might be different. Yes, yes. I'd say for me, that, that's really that's really the truth. But um, ones that I think of and jump to, when you were saying Family Ties, I was like nodding along. That was a show that, um, boy, launched Michael J. Fox, but the whole family and um, the guests and uh, very similar. I mean, I could go on and on about that show. 
Um, The Office is a big favorite of mine, both versions. I'm going to kind of cheat and put both of them in the same category just because of the fact that um, I love both of them equally for the same reasons. Leave it to Beaver is one that growing up is one that um, I can watch it endlessly over and over again. It's another example of a show that I think you can kind of jump in everywhere, but has a continuity to it as well. That um, uh, as a kid growing up, I just love, um, and it's it's much, it's definitely a comfort food piece. Happy Days is one that um, probably one of my all time favorite comedies from my childhood. Um, it does, that's a show that does hit a point where it's not quite as good. That's as, where Jump the Shark comes from. Yes, exactly. But um, I quite enjoyed it past the jump the shark piece, but um, there is a certain point in time where it really does jump the shark for me. And the Big Bang Theory is more of a modern one. That's uh, There's a family connection in that one, too. My father, I think growing up, never understood uh, geekdom and by fandom and all that kind of stuff. Strangely, it helped him understand me. <laughs> <laughs> I can see from your background uh, how big a geek you are. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I I wear it like a badge. So <laughs> I, I collect. I collect. Uh, I have a lot of Disney documents. So I see your Tiki Room sign, which oh, I know. This, oh, a big Disney geek. Big Disney uh, geek. I should. When we're done recording, I'll show you something. Oh, please. Mm-hmm. But for now, I'm going to wrap this up. And uh, once again, Ted, I want to thank you for making the time to come on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, I, it's great to meet you guys. You guys are very, you know, you're you're my type of people. And uh, I want to tell the listeners, if you have any love of the odd couple, go go subscribe to – well, don't subscribe. Go back and listen to uh, – subscribe and listen to it because the majority of it has already been done, uh, 1049 Park Avenue, because it's a great podcast for people who love the odd couple, no question. And it's clearly – again, there's criticism of the show, but the love of the show by the two hosts, it clearly comes through. Thank uh, and you. That, that's, that's what's important. That's what we try for. You know, I, I always say uh, the best podcasts uh, are the ones where if I put it on while I'm driving on a long drive, you know, by myself going to work or whatever, uh, I start answering questions or commenting in my mind to the, to the hosts. And I have found myself doing that with you guys. So what it does is it gives me a feel like I'm in a room with you. Yeah, and we know we say things sometimes like we make an error or we use the wrong name. We go, oh, we know there's people out there who's like, no, you said that wrong. That's not right. Or people disagreeing or agreeing with us. So it's great to know that's really happening. Yeah, and it's not a matter of disagreeing. I mean, yeah. sometimes I disagree with you. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I do agree with you. But I'm never, I'm never like angrily addressing yes. the show. It's Got always, it. like I said, it's always like friends sitting in a room having a beer and talking about the show, which is yeah. perfect. So I definitely highly recommend it to anybody who's listening. And uh, I recommend The Odd Couple to anybody who's listening. And if you haven't given it a shot, do so. Because it's very rewarding. And as Sean said, it's, it, 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 is, it doesn't show its age. Mm-hmm. So thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.